myself out. I am afraid of I'm terrified and paralyzed by I am deathly afraid of Welcome to the Sum of All Fears podcast with your host, me, Ryan Perio. Hello and welcome to the Sum of All Fears podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Perio. We got a great guest this week. It is Carter Ashton Fabra Bryant from Arkansas, my first out-of-state guest. Carter is a radio personality and comedian out of Arkansas. Had the pleasure of meeting him a year or so ago. We stayed in contact. He does a lot of the like sports, country music. He's done it all in the radio. He's done serious satellite radio. And so I had him on my podcast to discuss his fear of letting go. So let's go into my interview with Carter Ashton Faber Bryant. We are here with Arkansas radio legend and YouTube. Is it Fan Gems? <laughs> is that what your YouTube channel is? They, I love the I love the deep prep right there. It's Sports, sports gems, gems, baby. Bible. Sports gems, sports collecting, made fun, affordable, where you don't have to pay a gazillion, bajillion dollars to have cool stuff. We've already given out Tiger Woods bobbleheads, Yankee bobbleheads. I do stand-up comedy, and that's how I met you, Ryan. What's up, man? What's up with you, Carter? I'm glad you could do this. You're away in beautiful El Dorado, Arkansas right now. It's El Dorado. Chilling. It's El Dorado. That's how we say it down here in the... Co- El Dorado. <laughs> duh. You got to say duh. Say it with me, Ryan. Duh. duh. Say it duh. 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 El Dorado. It's almost duh. like you're disgusted at proper grammar. Duh. Ugh. Duh. Duh. Yeah, man. I love your podcast because you talk about stuff that really matters and it's universal and I'm ready to talk about letting go. Are we still talking about letting go today, Ryan Perio? Yes, we are. Just a, I was going to do a little bit of background on you since you do you are doing bobbleheads right now. You're a radio personality right. based in El Dorado, Arkansas. Duh. And you have... And what is that like to how t- take me through being a the radio personality of El Dorado, Arkansas? Well, the good news is that I don't have to do it anymore because I'm able to work from home and make money. So I don't mm-hmm. do terrestrial radio anymore, which is funny because, you know, when you've done radio so long, people anywhere within a 100 mile radius is going to be like, oh, I know your voice. I know I I. I was talking through a mask and somebody knew my my voice. And what's funny is I don't do the whole radio voice. That's the way I sound now is just like how I talk in normal mm-hmm. conversation, which is kind of weird because everyone thinks it's like, well, coming up on WBRZ. That's a Yeah, you see, it's not like picture that's how you met your wife. That's yeah, how you met not, your you met your woman of your Hey. Yeah, you just did your radio. That's it. Hey, baby girl, come over here and let me buy you a drink. Top of the hour, coming up. Extra news update right here, top of the hour. No. So, you know you know what's funny? Okay, so I, I started the radio in mm-hmm. Arkansas. And just a background on my career, I've been lucky enough to work in some really cool places. 
I lived in DC. I worked at Sirius XM. I did radio in college at LSU and I ended up in Arkansas because it was my hometown and it was a lot of money to do a bunch of radio in a small town. And I got there and I started doing a country music show and I knew nothing about country music. <laughs> and that ended up being, I knew, I knew Reba McIntyre had red hair. That is the only thing I knew about country music. And that was it. I didn't know who Garth Brooks was. I didn't know who George Strait was. I didn't know who Lil Nas X was. I'm kidding. He wasn't a country star then, but still, I didn't know who any of these country stars were. And that made the show that much better because a lot of people will do a country show and they'll fake mm -hmm. it. They'll, they'll go in there with the, with the country accent. I just acted myself. And it was the craziest five years of my life doing country radio in a small town. You meet the most interesting people. You do the most interesting things. I got in trouble a lot for some of the stuff that we did, but it was fun. But it was time to let go. It was so hard mm -hmm. to let go of that job. And, you know, it, it just wasn't mm -hmm. it for me. You know, radio is kind of, I, I'll, I'll do radio yeah. again. I, I've applied for jobs in Dallas. I, I've, I would do terrestrial radio in a heartbeat. It's a great medium. But I know that there's other things in my life like YouTube and other projects that I want to mm -hmm. conquer and do. But Ryan, I'm telling you, it's the one thing, it's the one thing I struggle with is letting go of something like a radio mm -hmm. job in a small town. I, I struggle letting go of that. And it was tough. It was tough to leave mm -hmm. that studio one final time. And know that you're not going to talk to the hundreds of mm -hmm. thousands of people that you talk to over the years. So let me ask you this. I want to know, since you're in the radio, I've got to know the inside scoop. When you get in trouble at the radio station, so when you do something kind of outlandish that kind of pushes the envelope, what does that entail? Can you tell any of that or is that something we may never know? I was just curious. No, no, no. So I'm, I'm happy mm -hmm. to share that. And I talk about it on stage too. So if... One of your Dallas buddies has heard the joke from doing a show in Dallas or whatever. But uh, we cooked a deer meat pizza. It was supposed to be a deer, raccoon, and possum pizza. We took it easy on everybody. We just did deer meat pizza. And it was probably the most delicious thing that's ever happened. And the problem was the, the people that cooked it was, the, was an actual mm -hmm. company. Next door. Now I'm not going to say the yeah, name because I don't want to start this whole thing. Up. So, 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 what happened? It's not legal to to do game mm -hmm. and, and and do a game pizza. Apparently, I didn't know the laws. I was just going with it. So, someone brought deer meat to, to the pizza place. Uh, they brought it by the studio first, and then they took it to the pizza place, and they made it, and we did a live broadcast. They were doing play-by-play -play of the pizza, and what happened was I got in trouble with a World Wildlife Federation. They sent a letter saying, we're going to sue you. You can't do this. It's animal cruelty or whatever, and then people kept calling that pizza joint to get the deer meat or the deer raccoon and possum pizza, so their phone lines went off the hook because we ate it on air. And I kid you not, Ryan, that was probably the most delicious pizza because mm -hmm. I hate deer meat. I do not like deer meat at all. So, yeah, it got me in trouble. I went on ahead and did it. It was 
a, a sponsored thing. So they paid for the whole thing. The, the station made money on the whole thing. But it's just one of those things. You know, radio bosses are just way too mm-hmm. serious. And ironically, that's part of the fun of doing radio, which makes the internet and podcasts like this so much fun because there are no limitations. Mm-hmm. Someone could be listening to this right now and start their own podcast. Hey, look, we're recording this on Zoom. I tune into them. Our buddies uh, Seth and Paul do their Zoom show. And it's as entertaining as most stuff that I'll mm-hmm. hear on terrestrial radio. You don't have to have a degree or any kind of specialty to create content. All you need is your phone, some decent lighting, mm-hmm. a hot chick or two, and you are set. You, you don't need the hot chick. I'm kidding. Look at us. You are set. You can do it. And it's the funniest thing because everyone makes the mm-hmm. joke, Ryan. Everybody's got a podcast now. So be it. Yeah. We can all listen to each other's podcast. We we can if it's if it's as long as you're having fun doing it, that's all that matters, mm-hmm. right? right? Motivational speaking. That's all you need. That's all you need, man. And you you know, as motivational as, as a black man doing a country music stay show on radio in Arkansas, who knows Reba McIntyre's hair's red. I hope that's all you said. Like every break. Yeah. So, got Reba McIntyre. You know, she's got red hair. All right, here's George Strait. <laughs> so, the funny, there were so many people that would try and, because, like, I was always honest on the radio. Like, the first day I did a show, I didn't know who any of these artists were. And I never fake like I liked the song. I, I, I just couldn't do it. I just could not do it. There's so much <laughs> trash that spins on country radio. So, I'll say, and that's, that wasn't, Luke Bryan's best. And I would say that about what, like 68 of Luke Bryan's songs weren't his best. Yeah. Luke Bryan is that bad. I don't know how he's ever sold one record. I don't know. Anyone listens to that. So, you know, I would do an honest break like that. And then someone would call in and be like, yeah, you don't say that about Luke Bryan. He can shake his ass. Good. Oh, and you you would get the, the angriest, but funnest callers in the world. So if I, a country music person or or a non-country music person can do a country music show. Anybody could do any (laughs) kind of content that is out there. You want to, you want to know the most insulting thing and then we'll talk about letting go. it, It wasn't insulting, but it was funny. Everyone always made the same joke. Are you Darius Rucker's cousin? Wow. Everybody would do that joke. And I didn't never really know how to respond to it. I'd be like, yeah, of course. Darius got me this job all the way in South Carolina. Yeah, that's how that Hootie, Hootie yeah. from Hootie and the Blowfish did this. So it, it was, it was, um, it, it was, mm-hmm. it was fun. But then I was given an R&B show. So I was doing a daily country, one daily sports and one daily R&B show. So doing three shows a day. It just got old yeah. and it was time to move on to YouTube where all the fun is had right now, getting 27 viewers a video. That's all that matters, right? right? Before we get to the, before we get to your fear, tell us a little bit about sports gyms. You, you mentioned it earlier about the bobbleheads and cheap sports collectibles. Kind of give us the rundown on that again. How did you come across doing that and what inspired you to kind of give away these collectibles or, you know, 
offer them for people instead of collecting them. Right. Yeah. So sports collecting is mm -hmm. boring. All right. I'm just going to be honest. It's very boring. Like if you go to the national sports collecting convention, I went three years in a row. My dad's a big time collector. He's not boring. He's an eccentric human mm -hmm. being. Um, and I am too. So we wouldn't really fit in because everyone there is in Hawaiian shirts, cargo shorts, socks Ooh. and sandals. Their names are Jeff and Rob and Brandon and no offense to Jeff. The Rob 90s dad wardrobe. Yes. And new. yet uh, you mix in some new balances. And I like new balance. Heck, I'm wearing Crocs right now. But no, it, it was. I, I remember being there, but being mm -hmm. so out of place. There wasn't a lot of people that at first looked like us. There wasn't a lot of us that talked like us. So sports collecting doesn't have to be this gazillion dollar thing. Anything, you can infuse anything mm -hmm. with comedy. And in each and every video, I do a sketch or a joke or something like that. But we also give out a bunch of stuff. Now, I know that no one's going to see this, but I'm holding on the Zoom thing an Upper Deck Tiger Woods bobblehead. And this was from the Tiger Slam. For those that don't know what the Tiger Slam is, it was 10 years before uh, Elon slammed his car, uh, the white blonde woman he cheated on. I'm a big Tiger fan. And uh, I made a bunch of jokes, not only about Tiger, but about myself. It's all self-deprecating humor. And I like giving this stuff out. So I've always had this bobblehead. I never opened it. And then there was three other Tiger Woods in the set. We collected the whole set. We were able to do it as cheaply as we possibly could. And this is actually the last one mm -hmm. that we're going to give out. I know no one's going to see it, whatever. And then we just did it with Yankee bobbleheads. I'm a big Yankee collector. <laughs> and that's what we're going to do. We're going to teach people how to, and I know you're Astros, and I know it's been a fun week for everybody with, in Astros Nation. But, you know, what's funny is, Ryan, is sports yeah. is fun for everyone. And I'm actually a big nerdy film x's and o's guy but nobody really is like that i like mm -hmm. the fun in it i like the personalities yeah. that, that go along with it the um the yogi bears the dennis rodman so people that, that really make you laugh so i'm going to teach people how they can collect not only fun but affordably and i'm also giving away all my stuff so if you subscribe to the channel you'll probably eventually win all this stuff that i've collected over the years so yeah it's fun. So it's you fun said now. your dad collected. So what is your dad's like collecting weapon of choice? Like what is your what is your dad big into collecting, like sports wise? Yeah, everything. He's a Hall of Famer. So what's funny is what got me into stand up comedy is my dad is one of the greatest modern basketball card collectors ever. I know this is gonna sound really nerdy, but the best vintage by Michael Jordan basketball card collector is actually a a pretty good club comic mm -hmm. in New York City. And I met him way before I started doing comedy. That actually connected us, and he got me in with the, a, a few clubs in New York when I went up there. And uh, it's interesting what the sports collecting world can, can do, and that's what I reached out to him when I first started doing comedy. I said, hey, th I did a set, and he gave me feedback and all that. And, um, and yeah, that's that's... The funny thing about it, uh, my dad has a piece of the floor from Game 6, 1998 in Salt Lake City, Michael Jordan versus whatever. And I, I don't want to bore anyone with just stuff, but that's what we're doing. We're giving away. Yeah. No, we're not going to give away that. There would be a friend. You already gave that away but, to the comic. Uh, we're, we're giving away. <laughs> yeah. Like you were exactly. talking to your friend comic. I've got yeah. the Jordan rookie. 
All right. Caroline's Caroline yeah. seven o'clock. All right. <laughs> we'll do the we'll do the swap after I get off stage. I'll give you the card. Yeah, man. Trading cards for stage. Time. I would. So that's that's the funny thing. Yeah, I would do. I I'm, it's hard in New York. Um, but that's that was a funny thing about it was that stuff just uh collects mm-hmm. over time and it just kind of builds up. And my girlfriend over here, I know this is audio only, but there's three huge storage bins where all my stuff goes in afterwards. She is a big time minimalist. So that's also <laughs> part of the inspiration. This was one of my favorite items. Sammy Sosa. Now, Ryan, you want it? This is called a headliner. This is only six dollars. This small little statue you can get on eBay mm-hmm. right now. What makes this Sammy Sosa uh, piece so good is that this was Sammy Sosa when he was still black. Mm-hmm. Have you seen him now? He uh, is. He is scary. He is white. He bleached his whole skin. Like it is. Imagine Michael Jackson, but ten times worse. But anyway. I was such a huge Sammy Sosa fan, and this is one of my favorite pieces. You can get this piece, Headliner, mm-hmm. uh, for $6. In fact, the next person that subscribes to your podcast, I'll send them something. I'll send them something, whatever fan they mm-hmm. are a fan of, I have everything. I'll, I'll, send them, I'll send them something or whatever. So, so yeah, it's, it's anything you want it to be. And everyone collects something. And I just happen to collect all these weird sports items and I want to give them out and share the joy of sports collecting with everybody. That's awesome. I think it's really cool that it's come from like your dad. Like it's kind of been passed down that, you know, you've kind of had something that you share with your dad. That's, you know, something you and him could do together. The father son bonding thing, even though he's apparently way better at it. (laughs) Oh yeah. I mean, you know, what's funny is uh, a few year Dallas comic friends came and did shows here and they hung out with my dad the whole time. Like, I never even talked to him. They just looked at my dad's collectibles. It was Paul and Leron. And um, I, lo- I love Mr. Varghese and Mr. Wright. I'm still friends with them to this day. But they, they didn't want to leave. They, they did not want to leave our, our house. We all went to the same place and stayed in the same place. My parents' house in small town Arkansas. And um, they're two huge sports mm-hmm. fans themselves. So that's what's fun about it is if you share sports and not be snooty and be a jerk fan or whatever this sports can be really really fun yeah. for everybody it, it it's i get that because it's i'm dating some i dated someone that wasn't in the sports and so it's really hard to kind of explain well it's not just people hitting each other look they're like chess piecing look they're this they're right. playing off so that this guy doesn't burn them deep and it's just like they start to understand once you start to teach them the finer points that there's more to this than just the surface of two guys hitting each other or, you know, one guy swinging a baseball. See, he's trying to get him to chase something outside the zone. It gets a little bit interesting then when you actually break it down a little bit. Now, I feel like yeah. I've kind of tied into your fear by just listening to your history, but your fear is letting go. Right. Because... And I feel like that it's yeah. been bred in you because your dad doesn't let go. Like your dad's a collector. You all collect things. So it's one of those things that collector. what does it take for your dad to let go of a piece of sports memorabilia? A very special trade in return. <laughs> no. So uh, he, he traded some stuff to get me a bunch of Yankee bobbleheads that he knew that I was going to give out. So, um, so yeah, I, I did that in, in my last video. 
um, that's the thing. He he's because he's a collector, and you know, there's people out there that keep up with your card collections in particular. He would never really let go of any of it, and that was in large part because of me because I just loved playing with mm-hmm. all the stuff and looking at the cards and looking at the items. The or fifty whatever. pound. But you know, I'm a little bit different. Yeah, I'm a little bit different. I'm nowhere close to being as successful as, as him in his profession. So I'll never be able to have the collection that he had um, unless something major happens. I'm not sure. But for me growing up, I always just held on to mm-hmm. these items. And it was weird because today I was going through some stuff and there's people now to the YouTube channel that are offering to send stuff for them to give out on my channel. So I sent a veteran, he's also a comedian, a great guy. I sent him a, a a book that meant a lot to me that was given to me by a media member who's been on the radio with me a gazillion times. It's our one connecting thing, but it's an item. It was a book that he wrote um, about the Kentucky basketball team. And it took me so hard, Ryan, to just send this book to a guy that's, act- and this veteran is actually a Kentucky fan. This book would mean 10 times more to him, the contents in that book, than it ever would to me. I hate Kentucky. I don't, I'm not a Calipari guy at all. But I, I was like, just send the damn thing. It, it's just sitting on a shelf. Uh, just send it. Just, just give it away. It's, it, you're doing something. That dude wants to read the book so bad. You know, He's heard about the book. And, of course, he could just go buy it. I mean, he's a successful comic. But, you know, just send it. Just just. just give it away, just let it go materially, but also personally letting go and getting over whatever emotional hump that I've had in the past. I used to just, when I got broken up with, with when my girlfriends broke up with me, I had so much trouble, Ryan, letting it go. I'd be like, oh my God, I was going to get married to her. And she would have all the problems in the world. She's crazy. She has green hair. She she thinks Godfather 3 is a good movie. Like Ooh. all these real life problems that you should run away from when you hear it. I got broken up with a girl whose favorite movie was Transformers. Transformers? Are you kidding me? And I was so sad that she broke up with me. But that is a breakupable offense. If somebody says your favorite movie is Transformers, you got to get the hell out of there. I mean, Megan Fox is hot, but it's not that good of a movie. Come on, Ryan. What did you transform into that she broke up with you? <laughs> Man, I'm telling you, she stung me like a bumblebee. Okay, all right, I'll <laughs> see myself out. No, about that girl in particular. When she said that to me, I was so angry. I, it, it bothered me, and I'm not even a film junkie, but she said that she was a big movie person. So if you say that you're a big movie person, give me Casablanca, give me Shawshank Redemption, give me at the very least Silver Linings Playbook, but don't give me trans freaking formers. My goodness gracious. And sometimes, you know, I was talking about, you know, physically letting go of items or mentally letting go of people, but sometimes that could be a mix. Like for me, I was always self-conscious about my body. So I was an athlete growing up. I played every sport. I played AAU baseball. I played football, soccer, basketball. 
And I wasn't good at any of them because I was born with zero athletic traits. Yes. And I had a 12-inch vertical leap. I was the only kid on my basketball team that couldn't touch the net in ninth grade. I, I, dude, I had no athleticism at all. But I was always just chubby, and I was always very, very, very hairy. I was very hairy at a young age. And I would be so shy to go swim with my friends, even though I liked getting in the water at the time. I just didn't want anyone to see my hairy, chunky body. I was so, I, I, because I didn't have the abs and I didn't look like my hero, Derek Jeter. And I didn't look like Mariana Rivera all built up and whatnot, but you know what? I eventually let it go, which is why I started a, a thing called, and it's on Instagram. I hadn't posted on it for a while. I started a thing called chunky gold hips where I run around in a golden speedo. That's it. I don't know if you've seen that. I hope you haven't, Ryan. Don't go look it up. I don't want anyone to go look it up unless they want to see someone that's doing that, not only for attention. Let's be honest. Everyone does that for attention. But I actually do that because I want to show off my body to the world. It, it, I don't know what it was. Something just snapped in me about three or four years ago where I was like, it doesn't really matter. Who gives a shit? I didn't know if I could curse or not. You can. Okay. Who gives a shit, Damn. You can... Just show off your body. It doesn't matter what your body looks like. So that's why I started it. That's why I did. it was a big F you to myself mm -hmm. that couldn't let go of the fact that I didn't have this perfect athletic body and that I wasn't a, a big movie actor like I wanted to be when I was growing up or, or whatever. So that's why I started that. And that was me when I started that, uh, the Chunky Gold Hip Sing. That was me letting go of a lot of clothes. Yeah. I, because I, dude, I would hold myself back mentally saying, well, nobody wants to date this chunky, hairy body. My, my members, medium to small size. I'm, I'm going, I'm being open here. Right? I don't care. I'm sorry for saying that. You might have to edit that out, but we're letting it all loose tonight because our house is folding right now. Literally, our house is falling apart right now. And that's why I'm still doing this interview. But my life is great. But that's it. Like my body, I, I would always hold that back. And that's why I started that. So I could show the world that and show myself that I could be myself at any certain time. Mm -hmm. How long did it take you as you were un disrobing? Like, did you have to just think about each piece of clothing as you took it off one piece at a time to put the speed on? Did it just... Like a butterfly, you were just in a cocoon and just waiting. Yeah. You know what's funny? I actually got the Speedo in Dallas. My girlfriend had taken me to Dallas for the first time. And uh, I work for another YouTube company called Chat mm -hmm. Sports. And they're actually based in Dallas. And one of my coworkers at the channel was at the store. It was a Chubby's store. I didn't know what Chubby's really was. I, it said, I just knew it was men clothing and that they gave you a beer when you walk in the store. And I was like, okay, I'll, I'll take a drink, day drink, whatever. And they had it on sale. They had, um, it's an American flag swimming trunks that rip off into a golden Speedo. And that's where I actually got it. And I said, you know what? Forget it. 
I, I'm just going to go out there in, in, in the golden speedo right now. So I, I wore it right then. Chubby took a bunch of photos. My girlfriend took a bunch of photos and that was that. And the funny thing about it was my coworker at Chad Sports was also there and he also wore uh, the golden speedo and he's like ripped, super handsome dude. And I was like, okay, so be it. He's got abs. I got six pack jelly roll. It doesn't matter. It mm-hmm. does not matter. And, and it was honestly that it was that moment that I was like, who gives a damn? Why not? Let's just show the world. Yeah. It's like SNL and Chippendales where you're, you're Chris Farley and the other guy's Patrick Swayze. Exactly. God, you, Ryan, you, I think, you know, the, the problem with you, Ryan, is that you know everything. Like, you know a lot about music. You know a lot about pop culture. You know a lot about sports. You probably have read every book ever written. <laughs> like, you, you know everything. Now, I want to ask you, because I know we're probably run out of time or whatever. What, what has been something you, Ryan, you're the host. Everyone's going to be listening to this mm-hmm. podcast sure. every single week. What is something that you've struggled with as far as letting go in your life? Okay. I struggle with letting go of my habits. I'll say that when before I started comedy, I used to go to I at, when I turned 21, I stayed at home for the most part, but I started drinking and I decided I'm going to go go see right. the nightlife in Dallas. I'm going to go do clubbing. And so instead of staying home, I went on an adventure and went to a club by myself and places called Lasers. Fun fact, there was a lot of lasers in the room, but it was like this beat up, you know, place, but I had a great time. And from there, I discovered the Lizard right. Lounge, which is now closed through the pandemic. But I would go clubbing every weekend, every Friday, every Saturday. <sighs> and so. Wow. And it did not matter what was going on. As soon as I could, I would go head to the club. And that went on until 2006, 2005, 2006. It wasn't the Lizard Lounge. Like, I stopped going to Lizard Lounge around 2004. And then my fr- my best friend and stuff right. stopped going. So I would go, but then we started going with some other group of friends to, like, places in Lower Greenville and stuff like that. And I would just, I would right. drink out of control. I was... I wouldn't be the life of the party. I would just be the guy that silently got drunk because my tolerance is so high. And so what would usually take me three beers a night would start to become five beers to get to that same kind of level of, oh, I'm loose. Then it became seven. Then it became a 12 pack. Then it became drinking before there and doing, you know, drinking there and then coming home. And so I got a DWI and that's the only thing that really stopped me is because I literally would go every weekend. I was like, oh, it's got to go, time to go clubbing, time to go. Like, women would be like, hey, you know, I met a couple girls that I could have, you know, had relationship with, and I just would not deviate from that schedule. It was almost like an obsession. Like, it was a ritual, a routine. And like clubbing, like, like, like club live in Miami, like like dance club. club. Like you, you'd go out and you're just dancing and drinking. Yeah. Yeah, and you would do you would do that uh, after sets. Like that was before do, comedy. This is pre-comedy run. Oh, so I was yeah, okay. So I was pre-comedy. And how long have you been doing stand up? You've been doing what? 5 5 14 years. 14 years. Okay, and you're so you 
let me let me do this math real quick. So you were twenty in your mid twenties, mm-hmm. okay, like you said, mid twenties, um, and and that's crazy to me. And like, what was so hard about? Like, what what was the real thing? Was it the drinking or was it the lights? Was it, it was the, it was just the, the ritual. That, it was just basically that this is what this is Friday night. Friday night means this. It was very much. It was almost like a habit. Like you said, you when you do your job, it's basically you know the routine of your job. When you go to work at Terrestrial Radio, it's get up at right. 6.30, get to the studio by 7.30. All right, 8 o'clock, we're live. That's how that that's basically what yeah, it was, yeah. but that was just how I'd, I pursued clubbing. It would be like, okay, all right, Friday night, we're off work. Okay, go get ready to go out, get get a couple of drinks, you know, have a, have a beer. Okay, shower, get ready. Now, now we're out, you know, see hi to you know hopefully friends show up all right they're here cool drink okay time to go home 3 a.m yeah and and what are you spending is it like 50 dollar cover or what what are you i mean not 50 and then it's gonna be 50 i had a free cover for the most part because i was they knew me okay so i that also that also attributed to is yeah they'll let me in free because they know who i am and you, and you were dropping what two hundred dollar bar tabs one hundred probably not bar that tabs? much I would probably drop sixty to seventy and then sixty <sighs> seventy a night and then whatever cash I had in my wallet was for Jack in the Box on the way home some tacos no. baby uh, we'd do bacon cheddar potato wedges a spicy chicken sandwich <sighs> living so that's funny and. The DWI is what is what you believe stopped that. Like, were were you happy when you were doing this, or were you were you sad whenever you were going through, whenever you would go clubbing? Like, would you get really sad whenever it was all over? Or, or? Sometimes there were times I would get sad. There were times when I grew up. My best friend is like a borderline model. He was very good looking, so he would always right. He would always find somebody. I would find absolutely nobody, and so it would wear on me it would make me feel like I'm some sort of monster that I was somebody that it was that no one, I felt like no one would like me. And so I really, I would really struggle with that. And it would just perceive, I would, my perception of myself was that no one wants to be with me. So I would just live it up, get drunk and drive home. And then drive home. Yeah. Once I got the DUI, then you know, I, I kind of, I was forced to sit at home. I couldn't go out. I didn't have a license, so I couldn't get into clubs. And so now I'm having to sit at home and then I lost my job and I was working nights and I wanted to do stand up after I lost my engineering job, but I couldn't do it because this job, this job that paid me well, had me working from 6 PM to 3 AM. And so I would, on Fridays, I would go out after and just drink and then Saturdays at three well, in the morning, would, the weekdays would be three in the morning. Then Friday nights I would work 10 to 10, 10 to 10 PM to 10 AM. And then Saturday I would go come home at 10 AM sleep until it's time to go clubbing and then go club. Oh, Saturday. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. I've, de- I've dealt with the same thing, man. Like you'd go out and see some of your friends, pick up a girl or whatever. Cause that was always like the big thing. Like he was going to pick up a, uh, 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 the the chick tonight or whatever and how many numbers am I gonna get? I went through that too. I was like, God, I'm not I'm not picking up as as many women as you know one of my friends who ironically is about to get married. But you know, I I I went through that as well. And 
you know, that can be a little demoralizing because you're, you're, that's just always the thought in your head. A lot of people are going out like for you, you, you would go out because of the clubbing and the drinking and, and all that. But a lot of people just go out so they can, you know, get their, get their peeny weeny sucked or whatever, however, however you want to phrase it. A, a lot of, that's why a lot of people go out so they can go yep. hook up, meet, meet other people. If you would never, if you would go out a bunch and you wouldn't get anyone, it, it would be, it could be demoralizing. I, I totally yeah. get that. It really changed my perception and then having to stay home, then losing my job. And I decided on a whim during my DWI while my car was still away to try stand up. And I couldn't the week before. Right. They just, they convinced me just to watch. And then the next week after that in August, I decided to do stand up and I started doing it ever since. And I lost everything during that time. I lost my job, all my friends from that. My best friend and I haven't talked for years. And I just basically moved back home and thought this is going to be my life. I don't have a college degree, so I will never have a good job again. So I'll work paycheck to paycheck and just do stand up. And that's it. Yeah. Yeah. And so I would work. I would get, I would sleep four hours a day in my 30s, get up, go do, go to work from 8 30 to 4 30. Then at 4 30 to whatever, I would help either Linda set up back door at the hotel or I would, or yeah. then I would just start doing open mics left and right. I would, I would do open mics from, I would be, I didn't care. I'll go last. I would go last at every open mic and I would just hit every open mic. So I would hit, my record's five in a night. Five? Mm -hmm. Okay. That's good, man, doing five nights. I, dude, I would dream for that. You say that, but, man, it is, it is mentally exhausting. Just driving and doing the same set over and over again. You just, by that fifth set, you're kind of, you're kind of struggling to remember the lines. And, but, yeah, that's my record. I think someone here's done six now, so I I no longer have that record because they did three in Denton, then a couple more because they came from Denton and did it, and so. Oh, so, okay, yeah, and the, that they came in with that well, mindset. Well, Denton has three mics. Yeah. Had three mics on Sunday, and then she did. Improv had one on Sunday. One nostalgia had one, and then I think someone else had a Sunday mic. So she did three here, and then she did three in Denton. Yeah, what was uh, I, I watched Aaron Berg's special on Amazon where he did 25 sets in a night. I thought that was interesting. He beat Steve Byrne, who he was a New York record holder with 13 sets in a night. I think the most I've gotten in a night is is four. I think four or five is the most I've ever mm -hmm. gotten. But it's funny because I, I, I still live in a small town. There are no mics or anything like that here. And you know, all the people that were fans of my radio show were, were here. I had some in Little Rock or wherever. But I I would drive two hours to go do five minutes, drive two hours right back, wake up, do radio in the morning. And I was like, God, I must be the only person dumb enough to do this. And then I figured out that that was Roy Wood Jr.'s path. He did basically the same thing in, in Birmingham. But obviously, he, he's a 10 times better comic than I'll ever be in you know, he was doing stand-up at a, at a way higher level at that time as well and doing radio at a way higher level than I was. So it's, it's interesting how different comedians and how their paths are. Like for me personally, I'm okay. 
I'm not great at stand-up. It's not the strongest thing that, that I do. But there, there's nothing like being on stage just even for that five yeah. minutes in front of a mic. And, this, uh, and Ryan, this is, this is the biggest pet peeve I have of comics. Whenever they blame the crowd or whenever they half-ass it when no one shows up, I freaking love it when no one shows up because you can do any jokes you you you, you can pull out all the old material that mm-hmm. that that you wanted and this this happened last week my first set back during the rona they had me close out a, a three-hour comedy show so of course being the last comic at a three-hour comedy show everyone got up and left right when i got on stage except for like six or seven people I was only supposed to do 30, ended up doing 45. And I pulled an old joke out of the book. You know, whenever you're up there mm-hmm. for that long, you're just like, let me just do an old one. And I did an old joke about Arkansas football's team. It was in Little Rock, Arkansas. Arkansas football team sucking. That's basically mm-hmm. the, the, the genesis of the joke. And everyone laughed at it. There's always a risk being an LSU fan in Arkansas doing that. Except one person, only one person, Ryan, was not laughing at that joke. I wake up the next morning, and I figured out that that person was former NFL and Arkansas wide receiver Joe Adams, one of the greatest Arkansas football players ever. And seeing him look the way that he looked at me after that show, I'll never forget it. And I don't know, I found that that to be Mm -hmm. interesting. I love doing shows in empty rooms. I'd rather it be packed. But sometimes when you do a mic, it is kind of freeing to be able to 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 work out a joke to see if you mm-hmm. get a laugh. And if a joke that you just wrote gets a laugh, there is no better feeling. I hadn't told that Arkansas joke in two years. And it's about bringing guns into mm-hmm. the stadium, which Arkansas people actually debated that Arkansas Razorbacks changing that rule, which tells you a lot about Arkansas. But um, so I did the joke. It got laughs. And I was like, God, I never thought that that joke was that funny, but it got laughs. And it was so much fun doing that. And that's why I wish I could live in a place like Dallas and be like you and work out all that material and flesh it out. And no doubt in my mind, that has stunted my development as Mm -hmm. a comedian. And that's something I wish I would have done, Ryan. I wish I would have let go of doing the radio mm-hmm. here and just moved to Dallas earlier and, um, and, and actually chased comedy. And I was doing that. I was going to move to New York earlier this year. At the end of February, I did my last comedy show that I had to do under contract here. And it was the first week that the Rona really hit was mm-hmm. in late February. And I ended up not going and living these comedy dreams in New York City where I can actually do mics and and do more comedy or whatever. And it sucks. But I had to let go of that dream of living in New York because guess what? New York's never going to be the same. I think the Dallas comedy scene will return to more normalcy than New York ever will in stand-up comedy. I am dead serious Hmm. about that. And I'll go one step further, Ryan. I'll go one step further. I think Dallas, out of all the places I've been to in the South, um, Houston, uh, I've been to Atlanta multiple times. I did shows. There are so many great shows in Houston. 
uh, excuse me, in Atlanta, so many damn good comedians in Atlanta. My, my, my favorite comedy podcast is Joel Byers Hot Breath Podcast. He's based in Atlanta. He's one of the funniest people I've ever seen in my life. Clayton English, you can go down the list of all the great comedians that live in Atlanta. But Dallas, I love the scene. I love the people. I love the way it's structured. I love the, the way the comedy clubs are, are structured. I love the way there's different kinds of comedians. And Dallas, there's a wide variety of comedians every city you, you go to. But I think mm-hmm. when all this is over and whenever you go back to normalcy, I think, I think Dallas is, is kind of set up with, with everything to return back because New York comedy fans are so heavily made up of, of tourists. So it, it's going to be fascinating to see how, how Dallas bounced back from this and, and New York as well. I agree. I'll put this scene against any scene in this, uh, outside of New York and L.A. I would put this scene head-to-head. Because top to bottom, I, f- I feel yeah. like we're top to bottom. There's more work ethic here that people just you subconsciously know how to do stuff. You have the best comics in Dallas going up at open mics and shows and talking to Johnny, Johnny new comic that's just started two days ago. You can actually sit right. with Paul Verghese or an Aaron Aaron Poor or a Dave Little and talk to them. And, and watch them on stage yeah. and just kind of, you see how a professional does it and you subconsciously follow. So you see how seriously they take it and you, by watching them, okay, I need to seriously write. Look how much they've written about broccoli. Like to just take, you know, Paul's right. written five minutes on broccoli. And, you know, you just start to try to find your broccoli basically. What can I talk about for that minute's time? And you structure it like they do. Oh, he says it like this, and then here's the twist. Now you kind of follow suit. You may not be perfectly doing it the same rhythm, but you subconsciously know, okay, I need to start saying a punchline here because I've watched Paul, and by this point in time, he's already said something that's made the room laugh. So now I've got to time myself out to where I do it. And that's how you learn. And I think it, like I said, it makes this scene stronger the thing that makes it weaker is that you have to also keep your ego in check and, as you say, let go of the fact that you think you're great and understand that it takes time for everybody to get opportunities. And, you know, you only have four to five opportunities on a weekend to do a paid show. And so you've got 150 to 200 right. comics for five spots. It's going to take time for you to rise up and, you know, be that cream that rises to the top to be in that conversation of being one of those five people. It's funny because, you know, in Dallas, people, the comedians there aren't doing it to be famous. You can't say that about L.A. and New York. A lot of L.A. and New York comics are doing stand-up as a means to a different end. And... I always tell this to people when it comes to entertainment. And I, I said this from the start of my country radio show, just, just to call that back, call back, whatever. Um, I always, always told people, I'm not going to be country. You're probably not going to like what some of the stuff I'm going to say, but if you enjoy it, enjoy it. Mm-hmm. I, always tell, I, I always say this to people whenever they go to a stand-up show and they don't know anybody that's going to be on the lineup. If they make you laugh, 
it was 10 times harder for them to make you laugh than if you were to go see Dave Chappelle at a show because you know you're going to go see Dave Chappelle. You know what you're going you know what you're expecting. You're in the room of a legend. Mm-hmm. But if you go in and see somebody that's just crushing and you didn't know who they were, you didn't know that they were going to be in the stand up. It's the same thing with music. If you go to a random bar and there's just a a jam band that is just taking you to a different place and you have no idea who they are. It is so important for you to remember their names, follow their social media and follow their careers because they don't, they don't get that benefit of Dave Chappelle or widespread panic or whoever to have their own social media team there to sell you shirts or whatever. And I get a lot of that, that vibe from Dallas. Whenever I did shows there, it was legit people that were there to do stand up comedy. They're not, you're not you're not going to Dallas to to become a movie star. It's just that's just the case. So every time I did a show there, every show I've ever done in Dallas, like I was just blown away how much better the comics were than than I'll ever Don't be. Don't say that. Um, and I can you, go you, no, I, you, I'm telling you. You I'm telling let you, go dude, of the I, fact I'm that I'm telling you. Yeah, there there's are some great some, comics, but don't don't sell yourself short on the same side. No, it is like I'm, kung fu. I, I'm telling you. Yeah, but don't say they'll be better than you'll ever be. I I take I take resentment on that. I'm they're yeah. I, give them their due, but also give yourself your your due. That you are you are doing this in a hey, in a I'm, demographic that doesn't cater to your your kind of comedy, and you're still making it work. That takes skill. Hey. I, I know I'm a middle-of-the-road comic. I'll say that to, to anybody <laughs> to their face, but I'm telling you, something I like about you is, like, we, at some point, we, we're, all, we're all that jealous comic. Mm-hmm. Why, why am I yep. not getting that stage time? Why am I not getting this? Why am I not getting that? You know, if there is some comedian that looks at you as a veteran in the scene or whatever, that wants to take advice from someone mm-hmm. like me who is still learning, the only thing that's really helped me in comedy is something I learned in radio early on when I was at Sirius XM scrubbing toilets. No, they didn't have me scrub toilets. Totally joking. But when I was there and I was at the very bottom of the total pole, you don't mean jack shit as quickly as you can get that in your mind that you don't mean jack shit, that the comedy club is going to be fine whether or not you get on that stage. If you're at Backdoor Comedy Club, if you're at Hyenas, if you're at Madison Square Garden or the Comic Strip Live in New York City, the stage is going to be fine whether or not you're going to be on there or not. You know, once you get that through your head that you are not relevant to any open mic, to any, and I, I struggled with that early on. I, I really did. And I then said, hold on, this is the same thing as radio. And then I quickly turn my mindset around if you work hard enough and you become undeniably funny you're going to get stage time you're going to get opportunities you're going to blow someone's mind away Mm -hmm. i think that's in every profession though you could be an undeniable chef if you're making food that's undeniably delicious or if you're a, a, a musician that's making music that's undeniably just gravitating that pulls you in it, it doesn't just have to be comedy. You can be undeniable and almost, you could be an undeniable nurse. Yeah. And that's the thing. You know, what was funny was, um, so, so there's a comedian. I respect the hell out of this guy. Um, and you know, you know, cause you, 
you're a stand-up comedy junkie like me, but uh, Sebastian Maniscalco. I love this guy. I really do. He's not the guy that I that someone would expect me to like because, mm-hmm. you know, he's got this real Italian bravado on stage or whatever. But I heard that people would make fun of his act at the comedy store when he would go up because his jokes aren't unbelievably, you know, well-written. It's not like Michelle Wolf or... or Dave Chappelle or Chris Rock that it's it's comedy with the point or anything like that. Sebastian has mm-hmm. this strange, unique dancing style about him on stage. It, it's real. It's really weird to describe. But guess what? I sat down and watched a special. I didn't know much about him. I sat down and watched it with my girlfriend's parents. This was the first time they ever sat down and watched a stand up comedy special. All three of us were laughing. My girlfriend's parents are uh live out in the woods and I didn't mm-hmm. grow up in the woods. They're completely different background. I love them to death. Um but we're we were all from completely backgrounds. We all grew up differently. But Sebastian had us dying laughing. And that dude just blew me the freak away. And then whenever I heard that people would make fun of him at the mm-hmm. comedy store for his style of comedy or him getting stage time or him getting on stage while he was still in his serving suit from working at the Four Seasons, people would make fun of him for that. I'd be like, that dude is grinding his ass off to eventually one day sell out Madison Square Garden. And if you don't like his style of comedy, so what? He doesn't mm-hmm. say anything poignant. So what? He doesn't do this or that. Guess what? Brian Regan doesn't. Jim Gaffigan doesn't. All these other great stand-up com- you find comics that never say anything relevant but they are funny as shit and and that's why i always tell don't judge anyone's Mm -hmm. certain style of entertainment if some social media stars are selling out comedy clubs or whatever is their 45 minutes going to be unbelievably tight no it's probably going to be five or ten minutes of decent material but they sold that bitch out everybody made money so you know don't judge someone else's success. Mm-hmm. Like I'm a nobody. I've had very little success online or doing whatever. Just worry about your damn self and it will take you such a long way. There you go. And with that, Boom. I think I'm going to have to let you go. But thank you for doing this, Carter. Where can we find you on social media? At Carter the Power is your social media handle and all your That's it. At Carter the Power, C A R T E R T H E P O W E R. If you're for some reason an LSU fan, that's where I actually make most of my money doing LSU content on YouTube. Um, but you could see all the stuff CarterThePower.com, Sports Gyms, my comedy dates, my stand up comedy clips that I posted on there, um, um, all the info on how you can win the Tiger Woods bobbleheads and all the chunky gold hips projects or whatever. I do a lot of stuff because. My house is legit covered in mold right now. So so follow that. And if you follow me on there, I'll happily discuss anything you want to talk about. But Ryan, thank you so much for doing this podcast. Thanks for getting people to open up about their insecurities. I want to let everyone know that you can let it go. Let go of that thing that just happens to be bothering you. Don't let it just bring you down for no reason. Like Just fight through it whether it be physical, emotional, or a little bit of both. And if you do that, 
you will be successful. I guarantee it. Thank you so much, Ron. I appreciate you. So that was Carter. I think this fear is one of the fears that actually inspired this podcast because it's one I struggle with every day. It's the fear that's kept me from quitting my day job and going strictly as a stand-up comic. Sometimes that fear actually pays off because trying to make it as a stand-up comic during a pandemic may not be the best idea. Or it helps Carter by not moving to New York when the city's about to be shut down. Sometimes it keeps you in a spot, but you may still wonder, what if? What if you had tried it? How many times do you worry about letting go of a job, a living situation, or relationship? I know when I was living at home with my mom, I was afraid I couldn't make it on my own again. And for the last 10 years, I've done it successfully. It's also interesting that Carter's dad's a collectible, like collects items of sports memorabilia and things like that. Another not letting go that maybe has rubbed off on Carter because as a collector, you're always afraid of letting go of something because once you let it go, what if it goes up at value and you should have held on to it? Or conversely, what if you don't, what if you hold on to it for too long and it starts to lose value? That's the amazing thing is that that fear is so widespread on so many different things. And collectibles are only worth however much you're willing to separate with them for. That's why I think his idea for sports gems is such an interesting concept of giving away those valuable to you collectibles that could mean so much more to somebody else, but you're just afraid to let them go. We all have a fear of letting go because it's a sense of danger and risk. It's one of your base fears that there's danger. And taking that jump to going into business for yourself, to quit your day job, to start a new relationship, or if you're stuck in a relationship, to start your solo, you know, pursuits. Thanks to all of you that have listened and are leaving reviews on this podcast. It means a lot. It's greatly appreciated. Thank you so much for those that have. If you like the podcast, feel free to leave a review. And now some credits and thank yous for the people that make this show possible. Thanks to Barry Whitewater, who does my graphics and design for my comedy as well as my podcast. You can follow him on Instagram at bwhite20. Get it, Whitewater. Also, a big thank you to Gunnar Olson for my music. You can follow him on Instagram at gunbuns. That's G-U-N-B-U-N-S. You can also check out his website at gunnarolson.net. And you can check out his awesome EPs and some music he's got coming out. Real excited for him. If you want to follow me on social media, I am at Ryan Perio on all social media. That's R-Y-A-N-P-E-R-R-I-O. If you want to follow the show, I highly recommend it. Instagram and Twitter is at Some Fear Fans. Facebook group is Some of All Fears. If you, want to, if you have questions for the show or feedback, email me at SomeFearFans at gmail. If you want to be a guest on the show, also email me at somefearfans at gmail.com. We can make that happen. Please keep leaving reviews on Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast platform you listen to. I, appreci- I just appreciate seeing that people like what I'm putting out. So if you like what you hear, go ahead and leave a review. I appreciate all of you for listening. And next week, 
we'll have another guest with another fear. Thanks for listening to The Sum of All Fears. Thank you.